Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Danny Cannell, Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons, and Tom Fernelli. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons, that's Danny Cannell, that's Tom Fernelli, I'm Chip Patterson, and we've got a loaded show for you today. Oh, we've got some first impressions. You know, we want to take a look at uh, some of the 20 teams that played their very first game in 2020. Yes, some of that is the SEC, but no, this is not just SEC. We had six other teams uh, from across the country who needed until week four to be able to get on the field. Uh, We are also going to introduce our weekly uh, Pulse of Noel Nation, but we'll save that for a little bit, Danny, so we can keep you happy. We can keep spirits high uh, before we finally get into checking in on things in in Tallahassee. Uh, lots to get to. Um, and new rankings coming out. You got news on the Georgia quarterback competition. But I wanted to open things up with a very, very simple question. Is anyone good in college football right now? Because I've seen, uh, you know, Oklahoma is going down. We've seen Texas not look good. Uh, We've seen LSU uh, obviously get beat. We've seen Georgia struggle. Uh, I mean, is... Is anyone good right now? And can can we put this all on the, the pandemic offseason? Will anybody be good? So first question, is anyone good in college football? There are two good teams. Two. Alabama and Clemson. That's it. Everybody else sucks. That's, that's the whole premise of my Monday after column this morning. <laughs> <laughs> it's the most normal college football season of all time because Alabama and Clemson are the only good teams out there. So, but, but the... How many more teams? Because Ohio State hasn't played yet, so we're not counting them. We're not counting the Big Ten. Right. We're not counting the Pac-12. If you even were, were thinking about counting someone in the Pac-12, I was not. So, w- how is that different than what you would have otherwise expected? Who's how many teams are 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 out of the mix of of good teams that you had assumed would be in the mix prior to the season? Georgia uh, is that the only one? Yeah, Oklahoma. I think Oklahoma. Was disappointing. Oklahoma. Oklahoma. But I, I mean, that's kind of like what I wrote this morning. It was kind of tongue in cheek. I was just, you know, everybody stinks because that's what we do with this sport where we pick all these schools apart. And it's like, well, this team's not perfect. They're not Alabama. <laughs> They're not Clemson. And it's like, well, duh, nobody is. Alabama's Alabama. Clemson's Clemson. So it's like, you know, Oklahoma loses to Kansas State and people are already saying it can't make the playoff. It lost to Kansas State last year, and it still made the playoff. It's lost a game every year, and it has still made the playoff. So it's just one of those things that it's like it's part of the fun. You have to nitpick all these good, not great teams and say that they suck. I loved it, I, and I think that was your direct headline, too. I don't think suck yeah. was in there, but everybody stinks was in there. Sucks <laughs> would have been more effective, but we're CBS, so we don't do that. Um, I... So I agree with you, and I like. I think that was the conundrum I was in this weekend. Is I'm like, this is going to be such a fun, crazy, wild college football season. But then I'm like, oh, are we just going to see Bama Clemson again? I'll I'll throw a team at you that I think is good, and you tell me why you don't think they're good. Uh, the Florida Gators. They're at three in the AP today. I thought they handled their business on the road. The offense looked exactly the way we thought with Kyle Trask tossing six touchdowns. Kyle Pitts looks like one of the most uh, you know difficult players to match up with in the entire country. And I know where you'd probably go is the defense, but didn't we expect Lane Kiffin to come up with some tricks up his sleeve with a double pass with some other issues? Never seen that offense in the SEC. Like, I thought they, and, and a lot of those points as I was texting you guys, sweating out that late game cover, <laughs> were late points in the game, right? Sure. Like, so I think the Florida Gators looked the part. I feel like I picked them to win the SEC East, and I still feel good about them. And I think it'd be a, it'd make for a really compelling SEC championship game. I'm not willing to say they're better than Bama, but I think they look really good. Yeah, I, I think uh, Florida looked. Uh, encouraging for sure, but I do think, I mean, I don't know, like Ole Miss averaged 6.6 yards of play in the first half. They averaged um, eight on the game. I mean, average, so, I mean, again, so like, I still think that's 
you you come out of that and you're you're still like all right well there's there's a hole there and and maybe as the season progresses we'll find out that um, there isn't a hole or it's a bigger hole than we think or or, or a smaller one but I think that we got to get that answered uh, on Florida defensively um, and and even. Alabama, like it, it was, it was certainly a dominating first game and first half against Missouri. But I mean, I, I don't know that that Alabama is is necessarily just clearly told us through a Missouri win where they didn't cover that this is going to be you know just a, a cakewalk to Clemson. Um, I, I think, I think that the the biggest sort of discrepancy from my pre conceived preseason notions is just I thought Georgia was going to be in that that top group and they did not look like that I can I can rule them out um because I never because I always thought Oklahoma whatever it was going to look like this year was going to be probably the worst that we've seen of Oklahoma and so I agree with everything you're saying I get it like yes yeah yeah it's it's you know it, the point is is absolutely true, but I also think it's it's just sort of um, it's just it's sort of consistent with what we expected from the season, anyways. If you really dig into it, but when we do this thing with college football, when we try to expand our circle of the elite teams, we let in these imperfect teams, and these imperfect teams normally get exposed in the college football playoff. Now, right, I, which is. I do think that the national championship is overrated and we should focus on all the beautiful things that happen in college football before we get to the college football playoff, but to look out across the landscape and I'll say Ohio state. I mean, dude, it is, it is incredible, especially as we nitpick all these college football teams. We're going to start nitpicking Alabama. The best thing Ohio state can do is not be playing right now <laughs> because we just in our head have this vision of what Justin Fields and Ohio state is going to look like in 2020. And you know, it'll be like here and gone by the time everything, go- all they have to do is not lose. If Ohio state doesn't lose, they're in the college football playoff with some other team that is ultimately flawed, but will probably lose in the semifinals and some combination of Alabama, Clemson and Ohio state are playing for the national championship. But like a Florida is UCF with better players. Like they're, they're going to outscore people. They might create some turnovers. Uh, you know, I, I just don't think that that secondary has lived up to what we've sort of assumed to be that Florida. Remember when Florida's like challenging LSU for who is DBU? I, think, I just, I didn't think that that uh, allowing Elijah Moore to carve you up like that. I didn't think that, that was particularly impressive. Um, you know, you start to expand it a little bit further and look around. You mentioned Georgia. Certainly with that offense, I'm not going to say that they are like awesome uh, are we going to get to Notre Dame? Like, is, is Notre Dame look like uh, that team? Is, is Miami that team? Ultimately, Notre Dame and Miami have their flaws as well. So I'm comfortable with nobody else being good. I enjoyed still talking about these teams, but it feels like nobody else is good. What is we, we talk about um, Clemson, Alabama being the only good teams. It's, can we even consider putting Miami in that equation? Yeah, I will consider it. I have them in there. I'm a deeper there are I'm a I have a deeper list than you guys as far as good teams. I I being a newbie on this podcast, I <laughs> expected you guys to be more of the calm voice of reason among college football <laughs> fans who usually overreact. And I get it that we haven't had football in forever and we didn't have spring, so we're like all chomping at the bit. But I do feel like you guys are all overreacting. I'm trying to settle you down. Like, for instance, Georgia. I'm not ready to write them off just yet, and I know it was atrocious. They won by 27. I was looking up to see if they covered or not, and I know it was late. I know it was ugly at halftime, but they didn't have – they don't – and maybe this is an issue that comes all here. They didn't have a quarterback. Like, Dwan Mathis goes, looks – he struggles, then they go to Stetson Bennett. Incredible story. What if JT Daniels is awesome? Like, what if he comes back and he's healthy and he he lights him up? Like, I I just – I feel like we're being a little bit hypercritical. And again, on the flip side, like Clemson, because they blew out Wake and Citadel, all of a sudden they look like they're blemish free. Like, I think it's college football. I think it'll be crazy. I do have this piece of me that says, all right, if you had to put a bunch of money on it, I would probably still bet on a Clemson-Bama rematch. But I think we have to like just slow down a little bit, take a deep breath. And if you're Georgia, you say, at least we're not Oklahoma today. 
You know, at, le- at least we didn't lose. You know, same thing if you're a Texas A&M fan. It might have been ugly, and you're thinking, oh, my gosh, the world is falling. We'll barely beat Vanderbilt. No, Texas A&M's not good. I, I will write them <laughs> off. That. Like, that's it. Like, when we're talking about the really good team, Texas A&M has good players, but I, I'm out on the Aggies. One game's all I needed. So, I think, though, like, the high – like. We're, it's, it's, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek. Tongue We're having fun with this, for sure. But, but, but <laughs> I think ultimately what I'm talking about is who can who can win a national championship when I'm saying who, how many teams are good. And so um, I'm, I haven't I'm, – I'm, I agree. I haven't um, ruled anybody out uh, to, for the most part. Um, but I think, it's, I think it's fun to this, you know, couple games in, like who's actually – checking the boxes that a, a national title contender should check. And we, I think, you know, Georgia out of the gates missed some big boxes there. Like Oklahoma, obviously out of the gate, missed some big boxes there. Um, and, and so I, I think, and, and A&M was like, are they a dark horse? Well, uh, I don't, not anymore. It doesn't seem like, like I just, it, there's, there's definitely some schools that seem to be kind of ruling themselves out, but I agree. I agree. I mean, Danny gets a couple five-star reviews. All of a sudden, he's the voice of reason on the pod. <laughs> but, uh, but he's right. But you're right. You, that, that, that's true. When we're seeing yeah. so much... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, Georgia got the best news it could get today. Kirby Smart said at his press conference that JT Daniels will be medically cleared to play against Auburn next week. And I think that's going to be... That's going to have a huge impact on Georgia because the defense was fine. It was the offense that just looked completely disjointed with Dwan Mathis. And instead, like Danny said, Stetson Bennett came in and did as good of a job as you can reasonably expect him to. But JT Daniels very much lifts the ceiling of what Georgia can do. So it was an ugly game. We talked about it a little on Saturday night, but I still think Georgia's a contender for a title. I still think that they're the team to beat in the East, honestly. I don't know if we we've, we landed on this um, on Saturday night's reaction or not, um, but just to clarify like where I fell after that game is with some time to digest is, look, there it's all the, all that is is gone with Georgia with Stetson Bennett as quarterback. Again, throw it all out. We'll see what it looks like with JT Daniels. But with Stetson Bennett at quarterback, yes, they're still – capable of accomplishing all the things that they can accomplish. It's just not going to be the sexy rebirth of Georgia that maybe we, we had hoped or, or thought could be possible. It's just the old Georgia and it's the old Georgia. That's like really old and like, kind of like, like, like retirement home version of it. And so, uh, maybe JT Daniels changes things. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, but, but look, the other thing is like Arkansas defensively, isn't supposed to be very good Arkansas, you know, and that was that, you know, you would think even retirement home, Georgia can run around up and down the field on, on Arkansas defense. And I guess we'll, we'll still find out how improved that unit is moving forward as well. I need to give it a little bit of a, a closer review before, or we really just need more data points before I'm going to feel confident about this, but there's this, uh, there's this notion looking at Georgia's wide receiver room that you just figured like because they are talented players, because they were highly recruited players, that there was going to be uh, a little bit of a they just need to be activated type situation here. And Todd Monken and a new offense, and I guess now JT Daniels, we might even take that next step. I don't know if Georgia has a – I don't know if Georgia has a top four wide receiver room in the SEC. George Pickens is awesome. But I, I felt like that group kind of let the passing attack down a little bit against Arkansas. Again, against an Arkansas defense. Well, who are the top three? You got you got Florida. Mm-hmm. Alabama. You've got Alabama. And then who else? Then I would put... Uh, Auburn with... with Auburn like with Schwartz and yeah, uh, Seth All Williams. Right, who's fourth? Who's fourth if not Georgia? Tennessee. They just don't have a top four quarterback. <laughs> maybe maybe I, I, I still think george i think pickens gets them in top four receiving sets but okay that's just me i'm a homer what can i say georgia are you, so so with some time to cool off you're not out on LS, us being, lsu's no. probably lsu's probably i mean even with their performance over the weekend like with with terrace marshall yeah eric gilbert LS, lsu's probably in there we'll see uh who else danny you mentioned that your list is a little bit longer is ucf on that list how- so I kind of had two groupings and I do, I 
was not a believer. So I have Miami on the list, but it's a very must an asterisk, especially considering how bad Florida State was, and we'll get to that. Uh, Louisville's not as good as we thought they were, but they've handled their business in those games. So I have Miami, but it's not like I trust them as a good team, and we'll find out in two weeks when they play Clemson just how good they are. Then I had a group uh, of teams, in the, and I had – so it was Miami, UCF, and Cincinnati I kind of had in this next group. And typically I would never include a group of five team in can they win a championship – uh, that might be my overreaction from the weekend is that from what we saw, all this craziness, Oklahoma losing, Texas getting taken to overtime, Georgia looking okay, um, you know, just across the landscape, I'm starting to wonder, man, does UCF or Cincinnati have a shot at getting in, which I didn't think I had before this weekend, but they both looked pretty good. I mean, Cincinnati, you know, beat me by and then you had um, you had UCF beat East Carolina pretty convincingly. Probably could have called out their number. I know East Carolina scored some points late, but I I kind of am looking at those teams a little bit differently, saying, all right, they've if there's teams that have handled their business, those two would have to be included in there. Now national champion, I don't know. That's a that's a completely different conversation. But reaching the playoff, I think it's in the conversation all of a sudden. When we see, I don't. <laughs> I, I just think that, I mean, it's not that they're not deserving or good. We've talked about it before. It's just, I think that before the Big Ten and the Pac-12 announced they were coming back, maybe like a group of five team had a better shot than in a normal season. But now that I feel like the Big Ten and Pac-12 are coming back, I, I feel like they're back to, you know, 0% chance of getting in just because I think the playoffs would rather have a two-loss SEC team in than an undefeated UCF. That's just the way I think they approach things. And like just to clarify one last time on the Alabama Clemson thing, it's almost like a foil when we see so much sloppy football, so many teams finding their footing. When you just see that machine out there clicking, you know, and everything just seems to be running and it's a matter of execution. It's just a, doesn't mean they're going to win a national championship. Absolutely. Who knows what could happen? College football is crazy. Uh, and we are being a little bit uh, intentionally overreacting for the fun of conversation, but it is that, it is when you see the special teams mistakes, when you see uh, a Texas team messing around with Texas Tech, when you see Oklahoma blowing a fourth quarter lead, and then you just see teams that take care of business. You know, Missouri put on some points late. Good job. I'll, I'll tell you probably the maybe a better way to like phrase this is it's less about nobody looks good and probably more about no one in the early going has flashed as oh is that the dark horse this year right you know like they're like oklahoma state didn't come out of the gates on fire texas has come out of the gate sputtering um you know i i don't know who else you would even point to but again like no one no one else has really put together uh, maybe miami again you go back to that that would be maybe the one is miami the the way they've come out of the gates has probably surpassed expectations for me and and so that might be the one. I mean, it is. I, I think I put them in our CBS poll. I think I put them third. Yeah. Uh, wow. Because that. I mean, who's got a better like rep resume yeah. to this point? Like, I am willing to shift it and will shift it dramatically as as we learn more. But through two two like Power Five games, three three FBS games, they've they've looked really good. So what you're saying is a better way to phrase it than is anybody good. It's as anybody looked good enough is what you're saying is a better way to phrase it. That's probably fair. Yeah. There's six, six three win teams in all of college football. Miami is definitely the best UTSA versus UTEP probably tied for second. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> UTEP. UTEP should have been in your top. Uh, why haven't we brought up UTEP as a playoff <laughs> contender yet? <laughs> Uh, yeah, the, the six three-win teams, Miami, Pitt, UTSA, Louisiana, SMU, and UTEP. Congratulations. Y'all made it to the three-win mark uh, first before anybody else. The new top 25 was released on Sunday. It was an impactful and dramatic shift after somewhat boring updates to the rankings because it marked the return of the Big Ten teams, the return of the Pac-12 teams, and so, you know, some teams that were even ranked looked good and one ended up getting bumped out because of uh, some of the shifting. But one team that lost but remained in the rankings was the defending national champion LSU Tigers who fell from number six to number 20. As we look at LSU specifically, and the, the 
I guess the rankings only set up sort of a framework for this. Do you, do you think LSU is a good team? Do you think LSU is a top 25 team? Do you think that LSU right now is a team that is uh, going to be able to, to pull things together? Because Coach O was out here, you know, today, and he was, oh, start with me. You know, like he's, he's taking all the ownership. He's trying to really get everybody on the same page. He's trying to make sure that they uphold some of this championship standard that he talked about all through the offseason when we were asking him how they were going to be able to bounce back from losing Joe Burrow and the most of the rest of the 2019 squad. So... Do you think that LSU is a top 20, top 25, even even good team right now in college football? Yes. I mean, I think it depends. Like, should they be ranked? I think that depends on how you feel about what your rankings are. If you're ranking teams based on where you think they're going to finish, then hell yeah, they should be in the top 25. Who are the 25 teams that are probably going to be better than LSU this year? I don't know. If you're doing it based on results so far... Well, now you've got an argument that they shouldn't be ranked because they've played one game and they lost that game. So why would you be one of the top 25 teams if that's the case? But no, I think long term, they are not 2019 LSU. But as we've talked about, 2019 LSU might be the greatest college football team of all time. They're not that. But I have a hard time believing that this isn't a team that's going to finish in the top 25, even in a down year. I just think that it's, I mean, we're one weekend. I, I think that the, our fears are realized. Uh, I, I, I mean, this is like this is just going to be so hard. This is going to be so hard. I mean, this is. Um, uh, I think Josh Pate for the late kick on twenty four seven made made a, a kind of a nice analogy. Like this is basically like this was a, this was a spring game for them. Like this is this is where they're at in their development and their building of a team identity and built team continuity, and and so I I, I think what's going to be really interesting is the idea of like I I've, I I think Ed Ogeron and his I'm adaptive I I you know I I can change I can evolve is is going to be put to the test and he cuz he needs to change and he needs to evolve he needs to figure out what this team is and and they got to figure it out in real time in SEC games and and so uh I I I do think that like they're figuring out who they are in real time like we're all watching it and so uh I just think it's not about just personnel it's about like cohesion and uh, and leadership and all those sort of things. And so I, I, I don't know what they're going to, I think it's going to be fun to watch because it could, it could turn out any number of different ways, but it's, it's, I think that the threat is real. Like, I don't think that's some fluky game. I think the threat is real here. I'm so mad at myself because I was pretty bearish on LSU's prospects for the season. The first couple months after the season, even pretty much the entire off season saying, man, they just, there's no way they can overcome those losses. And then I found myself in the month prior to the season starting, kind of talking myself back into LSU is LSU. You know, they've they've always been a really good team. They've always had nine and ten wins. They've, you know, they ran off a coach because he only had eight wins. And, you know, there's still the expectation is going to be there. But I, I just I, I'm mad at myself for talking myself back in there because they were decimated uh, personnel wise. Just when you look at and at critical positions, at the most important position, um, Joe Brady leaving, I think, is it's, it's to be noted that what the impact he had on the offense, and now that's gone, the offensive innovation that took place there. And then you add on to the mix, like even if they didn't have so many losses, it's hard to stay motivated and still have that hunger to win a national championship when you just won one. I mean, that's why there aren't many repeat national champions. So they have a bunch of things working against them, and I'm not. And it's not like I would have predicted the upset against Mississippi State, but I think on our over under, I think I took the under uh, on the season, and I'm glad I did, and I feel even better about that today than I did before. Well, let's take this question a step further. Let's like LSU scheduled to play ten games. Let's say they get all ten games in. How many games does LSU have to lose in your mind to not finish the season ranked in the top twenty-five? I don't know. <laughs> it's it's a. I mean, that's a that's a loaded question because now you're talking about like we've like we've addressed before. You could be comparing, I don't know, a six and four LSU team to four and one 
Indiana or something. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like this is it's just there's going to be so much inconsistency with I, I think that's just I don't even know where to start in I, trying to determine that. I don't think that you can be below 500 and be a top 25 team if you've put together a solid enough collection of games. And I think that there's a realistic way to run LSU season and see them finishing four and six. All right. I mean, All I, right. I've, I said before the season, what's more likely eight and two or four and six. I, I didn't, this wasn't me saying I expect them to go four and six, but I expected, I thought four and six was more likely than eight and two. Um, and there is know. good news though. You know, who's yeah. up next? Vanderbilt. Is it good Vandy. news? Yes. Look pretty good. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like things, I mean, LSU has Vanderbilt, Missouri, and then they play Florida, you know, and that's, you could, you could change this whole narrative if you beat Florida. I don't, I would mm-hmm. pick Florida right now, but things could turn very, very quickly to win that game. Then you get South Carolina, then Auburn, Alabama, back to back. Arkansas, Texas A&M, Ole Miss. I will say that Missouri game might be trickier than you think, too. Oh, my gosh. If they lose that one and that one's at home, then that narrative oh. takes a big turn. Yeah. Well, but, I mean, you're – yeah, I don't I don't disagree with you that Missouri could be tricky, but it's still a preferred opponent mm-hmm. as you're still figuring things out over the alternatives for the oh, most for part. Sure. So yeah. you do have a chance here. You got Vanderbilt. You got Missouri you got a chance over the next two weeks to work some things out. Uh, you just better, because they're not going to lose to Vandy. And and they're, they might beat Vandy really bad. I, 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 I'm sort of, as, as much as I respect that effort Vandy put in the other <laughs> night, like if you really look at it, it's, I mean, 3.8 yards of play, I think, or, I mean, it's like, it's let's not go overboard on Vandy. Um, so I think they'll win that one. I expect they'll probably beat Missouri. And then maybe at that point, maybe they become something different. Maybe they figured out who they are. I just think you can't just try to re like run it back in the same with the same blueprint as 2019. Coming up on the other side, ranking our first impressions. There were 20 teams that played their first game of the season on Saturday. What were the ones that stood out to us the most? We'll get into that and we'll give you some knolls to go. Before we get out of here with Danny Cannell next. Welcome to the nothing personal with David Sampson podcast. Do me a favor and blink, please. Did you blink? That's how fast the major league baseball season went in 2020. The postseason is already upon us. Whether it's baseball news, you on NFL, college football, water polo, chess, movies. If there's a story, we'll have it covered every weekday five days a week just subscribe and download on apple spotify stitcher youtube or wherever else you find your podcasts no bs no soft tosses no hot takes you know it's always business it's nothing personal yo it's two-time super bowl champion bryant mcfadden also known as bmac Mike check, one, two, one, two. And that's Patrick Peterson, a fellow cornerback, my cousin, and now my co-host on the new podcast, All Things Covered, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. This season, Pat will go from the football field on Sundays to the studio on Mondays to bring you the perspective of an active player at the top of his game. And the name says it all. Sure, we'll catch up with Pat P on how he and the Cardinals are faring. But we'll also talk about other sports, our personal interests, and social issues. Then we'll cover even more with a prominent guest each week. With 17 years of NFL cornerback experience between the two of us, we think you'll enjoy our coverage skills. So download and subscribe now to get weekly episodes released first thing Tuesday morning. All Things Covered is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else podcasts are found. All right, we want to go uh, five to one again. Sure, five to one. All right, uh, Tom, why don't you go first? What's your five? Start with East Carolina in a loss. Oh, yes. yes. what a homer! Yes. <laughs> it was it was a bad start. You know, UCF obviously had had a couple games under its belt. The Pirates were playing their first game of the year after having a couple games postponed and canceled. 
And they, they got off to a slow start, but I thought that they did a very good job coming back, fighting back late in that game to, you know, cover and to make it a, you know, not a real game, but, you know, at least get some re- reasons to feel good about them going forward. I just thought all in all, considering how things could have gone and how it looked like they were going to go after like the second quarter, impressive start for the Pirates in a loss. I'm proud of them. I'll go ahead and get my, by the way, I got the wrong homework assignment. So I had to adjust on the fly. I'm doing all these like top five performances. I had like um, Kansas state on there and all these, but I'll go. All right. First game out. And this is the only loser I have on here. Cause I don't like handing out trophies to everybody. Uh, I have to give Vanderbilt some credit as a 30, 30 and a yeah. half point underdog against Texas A&M to come out there to scare Texas A&M to have a game where everybody's watching in and only lose by five points. I thought it was really impressive for them to come out and fight that way. Now it also, what does it mean for Texas A&M? I don't know. It probably means they're over uh, the expectations, probably out in front of themselves a little bit, but I'm gonna go ahead and give Vanderbilt some love as a uh, top five here. Barton. Uh, I will, I will also choose a loser. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I think I'll give Arkansas. I'm going to go. Because, there was it, it for all the, the flaws that we've identified with Georgia, all the disappointment as a Georgia pod in our, in our dogs. Um, it, it, it took a competent team to, to have that kind of a competitive showing. And that wasn't a competent team last year. Wasn't a really competent team two years ago. Like this is that, you know, they came out there and had some belief and had some, you know, was, was felt like they could win and, you know, it, it, it piled up on them over the course of the game and Felipe Franks threw a pick six and, you know, it, it, it kind of got away from them. But I, I, my, my sort of bullish preseason uh, prediction of Arkansas will be not terrible and they might win a game or two in the SEC. Like, I feel, I feel like I might have a shot at that one. So uh, I, I was pleasantly encouraged by Arkansas's fight. My number five is uh, Tom's beloved who's we got a spotlight Virginia on here. First game that Bronco Mendenhall squad has had to get out there on the field. No Bryce Perkins, but I, I kind of liked what we saw from Brennan Armstrong uh, leading that offense. Now he had two interceptions and he didn't, he wasn't very accurate. A lot of incomplete passes here. But by the end of the day, he had two passing touchdowns, one rushing touchdown. No, he was getting, he was doing the the dual threat parts of that Virginia offense. And in general, they, they did a pretty good job of moving the ball on the ground, averaging uh, just under six yards per carry, totaling 188 yards. It was also one of the most fascinating uh, you know, to dive back into it, to to watch that game, see how it unfolded. It's not often that if you have three turnovers, you still win the turnover margin by four. But with Duke turning the ball over seven times in this game, oh boy, <laughs> Virginia's defense was getting after it. Duke could not get anything going at all on the ground. Uh, held the Blue Devils to less than 60 yards rushing on 38 attempts. So we we knew that we Virginia, probably because of what we expect from Bronco Mendenhall and the staff, that they were still going to be really, really stout on their defensive front. And if Brendan Armstrong could check a few of those boxes, this was still going to be a pretty competent team. So in a 38-20 to 20 win, uh, my number five, first impression, uh, give it to the Virginia Cavaliers. Virginia was – I just looked it up as you were talking because I agree. And uh, uh, we'll just skip my number three. They were my number three. Okay. So when we get to number three, that, that was Virginia. But – I agree. A, I didn't see Brennan Armstrong's turnovers. Whenever I flipped over the game, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like this. I like what I see. So maybe, maybe the turnovers will, will make me feel a little differently. But uh, between him, between the, the offensive line, I just looked it up to this point in the season. There's six in the country, Virginia is, after that one game, obviously, but in uh, average – in the adjusted yards before contact per rush, which I think is a good stat for offensive line. And that offensive line is really experienced, really physical. That's a hard-nosed culture they built there at, at Virginia under Barco Mendenhall. So I, I think that this could be a 
I do, I do think that that is representative of a team that's going to be um, dangerous in the ACC. They'll, if you play their game, then they're going to they're gonna mash you. I mean, they shatter rocks. That's what they do at Virginia. <laughs> they break rocks in the locker room. All right, Tom, let's, just, let's, let's get the fours. All right, so for my number four, I'm going to go with the team in the Big 12 because not everybody in the Big 12 had a bad weekend, but I can't put them higher than four because of who they were playing. But I'm going to go with Baylor, yep. who... You know, had their first game of the season postponed a week, had to come out there playing Kansas team that at least got a game in. But Baylor, you know, it was seven to seven after first quarter. And then the game was over because Baylor just pretty much took control of that thing and coasted for the rest of the way. They only had 350 yards of offense, but they really didn't need a whole lot more than that. Charlie Brewer, you know, not a great performance, 15 to 23, 142 yards, the one touchdown, but they ran the ball well with John Lovett and Craig Williams. Tristan Ebner had the kick return in which he beat like the entire Kansas kick recover unit to the corner and just blew by them all. It was just all around. There wasn't really a spot in the game where you were watching and says, that's a problem. They just looked like a solid team. And I think with the way the Big 12 played on Saturday, a solid team looks pretty good right now in the Big 12. Hey, so I got to do a, for 24 seven. I have to do a big 12 power rankings. <laughs> Are you, can I get a little bit of help here? Can I get some, <laughs> some like, like group think here on the pod? Like who do you even put first? Do I go Baylor one? Do I go Oklahoma state one? Do I, I go Texas one? Stick to They're the brand. Sh- Oklahoma state one. You've dug in yourself in. Yeah. yeah I yeah. think that's the right <laughs> one. <laughs> Cause I, I can also make the case that Oklahoma State's defense continues to be better than we ever anticipated, and or just you know, good good version of our our expectations, and offense is still getting healthy. Offensive line will gel. Spencer Sanders will come back. So maybe Oklahoma State is my one. Then do I go Baylor too? <laughs> I think. Texas? I would go with Texas yeah. because at least Texas dominated UTEP in the game before coming having to come back to beat Texas Tech. The mighty UTEP Miners. Yeah, but it's like we can't – I don't know how much credit we want to give Baylor for beating Kansas if we want to just jump them over both Texas and Oklahoma. I think I think Baylor's better as a three right now. All right. All right, Danny, All right. what's your four? I went with a team that actually cost me my money line sprinkle because I had picked uh, South Carolina to win that spot, but I'm going to go with Tennessee. Like this is, and I'm watching that game unfold and I'm like, I'm going to get this. I'm gonna, like, this is such a spot where Tennessee is just going to blow this game somehow. And you know what? To their credit, they didn't. Uh, Jared Guartano uh, had a nice touchdown pass in the fourth quarter. The defense played well. I thought it was a solid performance. So Tennessee now has three straight road SEC games. They've won three in a row after losing 12 of 13 of their last prior th- uh, SEC road games. So they're they're starting to play a little bit. They, they actually um, impressed me in that game. I thought it was also like you could look at South Carolina on the flip side and say, hey, that was a pretty impressive performance at mm-hmm. them, uh, you know, going toe-to-toe with them. But I thought Tennessee responding to some adversity, a close game, coming out with a win on the road, uh, they were my fourth spot. Barton. Um, for my number four, I'm actually, I lied. I have another team that lost. Or no, that's not true. Okay, I'm going to Auburn. So <laughs> my, my I thought, while I, like this is sort of this um, paradox that I'm in with this, is like I actually thought Kentucky was the right side of that bet. Like I thought Kentucky looked on Saturday to be the better team. But I'm also like somehow very impressed with what I saw from Auburn in the sense that I have... I feel like I saw a product that will that that shows me signs of like they're going to continue to get better. I saw I saw the pass game implementation that I think I was hoping to see with Chad Morris. I saw a a young defensive front that will continue to improve. I saw the same old like um, opportunistic defense that figures out a way to make the big plays when they matter. Um, and I just I guess. I guess the biggest thing is that it does feel like this will be an offense that can utilize a strength at the wide receiver position in a way that it feels went unfulfilled in years past. And so I think I feel better, e- even though like, I still like, e- even though I, I sort of talked about where I stand with Kentucky in that game, like I, I actually, I think I left the game feeling better about Auburn than I did going in. Um, and, and I think that there'll be a, a tough out. My number four, down 23 players 
and multiple coaches, including your defensive coordinator. Let's go with the Virginia Tech Hokies, who are up 31-10 to 10 at halftime against NC State. Uh, they did not let that rushing attack dominate the way that NC State had the week before, getting all the Wolfpack fans all hot and bothered. And... Not all like so. Hendon Hooker, the quarterback we were all excited about, was one of the twenty-three players. I think that that got lost because Virginia Tech was out to such a big lead. We didn't really address that. Uh, I know mm-hmm. on Saturday night, but then so Braxton Burmeister's the backup. Then he got hurt. So then we mm-hmm. had to go to the third string quarterback, Quincy Patterson, the second cousin Q, and they were still able to move the ball on the ground. Um, I do want to like put a snapshot on how angry Virginia Tech fans were as Duke was winning like 45 to 7 early in the season last year up in Blacksburg and all the fans were leaving and they were just bagging on Fuente or how uh, like oh fine let him go like all those kind of tweets that were coming out as uh, Fuente was interviewing with Baylor because Virginia Tech fans are peaking right now when it comes to Justin Fuente being their hero, the way that this offense was able to go through multiple quarterbacks, continue to be effective, continue to score points. Um, we'll see. I mean, Virginia Tech looked, we, we talk about just like looking good, looking competent, sort of being uh, in the flow and looking like you know what you're doing. And, and Virginia Tech, with all of these players that have missed all these practices and the games that have been uh, pushed back, they, they came out. Uh, they came out looking like a pretty good football team in their win against the pack. So Virginia yeah. tech is my four. Yeah, I had to see that. I'm surprised you didn't have him higher. I had him at two on my list because it was like what you said, all the players they were missing, they're missing coaches. They were missing their starting quarterback and they came out and just dominated NC state from start to finish. There was no like hint of NC state ever being in that game. It was 17 to nothing after the first quarter, it was 31 to 10 at halftime. And then they kind of just took their foot off the gas and let it cruise to the end in the second half. I mean, that was a very just impressive top to bottom performance from the Hokies in their first game, missing a whole lot of key players. So I had them as the second most impressive first time team this weekend. Did y'all catch that? Ryan Smith, the cornerbacks uh, coach, 29 years old, member of the 24-7 Sports 30 under 30 list, uh, was the Saturday, that, that morning, his first game ever coaching Virginia Tech, was informed he will be the defensive coordinator that day because that's when they found out <laughs> that Justin Hamilton, I guess, wouldn't be able to compete. So, like, uh, I think they had, um, I want to say, like, three, like, total defensive coaches to like uh, they, they they had access to three total defensive coaches, including the GA, I think was, was what it was. Um, I mean, it's just a, it's ridiculous. And yeah, like I, I have Virginia tech two um, on my list as well. I think, I mean, their run game when I was just quickly looking up the numbers for Virginia's run game and yards before contact and success rate and all that stuff. Uh, Virginia tech was at the top of all that stuff. Like, they were. I think Khalil Herbert ended up with 109 yards on like six carries. Yeah, he had that one long, like almost 40 yard touchdown, but he was 100 yards for the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but a, a f- almost 40 yard touchdown on one carry, and then 60 yards on five others. Like that's decent. Like, <laughs> just, it was just clipping it off. Like every play was just just these gaping holes. Uh, so I don't know whether that's a bad look on NC State. But it certainly is a good look on on Virginia Tech. Uh, that that was that was impressive. All right, Danny, where get us going with the threes? I had my three was Auburn. I know uh, uh, um, Barton already had it in his. I was impressed with them. Bo Nix uh, is he's kind of one of those players who's kind of infuriating to watch because I'm watching him play and he's trying to make plays with his feet. I'm like, <laughs> you're not Lamar Jackson, man. I'm like, slow down, <laughs> trying to do too much, and yet he avoided the disastrous mistake clean game, three touchdowns, zero interceptions. And the only thing I would say to Barton, who was on the wrong side of this uh, <laughs> of this lock fight that took place, was maybe Kentucky was the right side of the bet, but I do feel like the better team won in the end. You know, yeah. like I felt like it. And I and if I'm a Kentucky fan, I'm livid about the non-touchdown call before the half. And if I'm an Auburn fan, you're mad that you got the 99-yard uh, pick six called back. But regardless of what happens, and maybe Kentucky goes in there and takes a ton of momentum and it changes the outcome of the game, I still feel like Auburn was the better team at the end. And I was impressed with them handling some adversity and kind of taking over late in that game. 
No, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I'm probably more speaking to the bet because yeah. when, when part of your identity as a team is your quarterback and your quarterback is as maddeningly turnover prone as Terry Wilson was in that game, um, like it's, it's not as if Auburn hasn't won games like that before where they just settle in low scoring and then figure out a way to win. Yeah. Like Auburn's more equipped to win that game. So I I think that's fair. Um, I'm probably speaking out of frustration for feeling like that, that shouldn't have been a 18 point loss or whatever it was. Well, when it was eight to seven, former quarterback feels the same way watching Bo Nix that I do. (laughs) (laughs) I'm literally watching like yelling, like, what are you doing? Those guys are fast. You're not. (laughs) So do you think there's a little bit of, cause in the, in the old Gus Malzahn offense, it's, uh, it's it's all the gimmick, um, you know. Let's let's draw up a play in the sand and take a shot, and mm-hmm. and when the shot isn't there, go figure out some way to make a play. And it felt like, just um, sort of anecdotally speaking and observing it, it felt like there was sort of multi-level options for Bo Nix this time, and there was more progressions to go through this time. And maybe he's just at the point early in the in in the adoption of the system that like he's still resorting back to the old like oh the shot's not there all right let me see what i can do do do, do you think maybe there's a that that could start to get ironed out as the season progresses absolutely 100 percent. when you and just in general when you're playing in a new system again this is you know first year of this system for bo nix you're still thinking, you're processing too much. And if you're not 100% comfortable in your progressions and getting deeper in your progressions, where is my outlet? Where is my hot? Your natural inclination is going to be, all right, if the first one's not there, then I'm going to use my athleticism to get athleticism to get out of this. But the problem is he doesn't have that athleticism. But I do think you are 100% right that once he gets more comfortable being in a system like that, where you trust your progressions, where you get to your outlet, where you go through it, he'll have a lot more success when that starts happening. I hope he does, but as a Bears fan, I could just say that I've heard that same thing about Mitch Trubisky for three <laughs> years now. So best of luck to Bo. I've got Ole Miss at my number three. I think that the uh, the Matt Corral experience, I thought he played pretty well. I know we mentioned that Florida has its own concerns in the secondary. Elijah Moore is just as dynamic as ever. and I mean, they when they were running the ball well in the first half, Jerry Ely looks good. Um, I know that they, they tightened things up on Florida's side. It felt like as the game went on and and Ole Miss was just deciding they were gonna, you know, keep keep dialing up some plays, looking for Elijah Moore and trying to pick apart the secondary. But if they're going up tempo and if they are uh using uh Ely as a as a rushing threat, I mean, he's gonna bust some runs and he is gonna be able to to be a real problem. So where you know we we got a lot of shuffling in the SEC West. Feels like maybe a little bit less shuffling in the SEC East coming out of week one. I, I mentioned in some of our uh, in our SEC win totals that I was favoring Ole Miss over Mississippi State. I might be feeling very dumb about that right now, but at least I'm feeling better about Ole Miss. So I've got the Rebs as my number three. The My, my, my question with the Rebs is, do you think that result would have looked different if Rich Rodriguez and Matt Luke were still there? Like, like, is it is the offense better? I know it was exciting and it was good. Do you think it's better than it would have been? Because the same pieces were there. They would have used them a little differently, but there, you could make a case they still would have been pretty good on offense. And the defense was Fine. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, how many touchdowns do you think they gave up just while you were explaining why they were number three on your list? I mean, <laughs> dude. What, it, or was it that much different than when they played LSU last year? Right? They kept scoring on them, and LSU just kept scoring and scoring and scoring, and they gave up a zillion yards to Joe Burrow and, and LSU. It was kind of similar to that game. I think I think the it's the same. It's probably the same. It's definitely... Uh, it's definitely not a, a significant step forward. It's not like Lane Kiffin has come and upgraded it, but I thought it was a really fun offense last year. It was. Their games are going to be fun to watch, no matter They're, what happens. No question. And I, it, the only thing that is disappointing about what's going on right now at Ole Miss and Mississippi State 
is the fact that Lane Kiffin and Mike Leach seem to like each other. If those two guys <laughs> were like prickly and annoyed with each other and genuinely hated each other, that would be about to become the best rivalry in college football. Give it an egg bowl. Game is going let's, to be a blast. let's give it one egg bowl and yeah. let's see if they still have Let a, it breathe. <laughs> Let it breathe. It'll get there. Right. I, the, the only thing I was going to say, the only thing that you could take back from is Matt Corral's got to do something with his hair. I'm sorry. Like you got to have a sit down with him. Somebody close to him. And I'm not, this might be another, you know, qu- kind of close to being a hot take alert. And it's not a Colin Coward, wear your hat backward type. Oh, yes, of, yes, uh, yes. As the quarterback of the team, you cannot roll out there with that do. I'm sorry. You just can't. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta have a, a more conservative approach as the quarterback, especially at Ole Miss. Like you, you're not walking through the grove with that thing. Well, hold on now. I mean, they've had, they've had, uh, Chad, Kelly and um, <laughs> like it's not as if like they're just straight up or rolling with yeah but at like, least Chad was high and tight you know what I'm saying he might have been a problem off the field but that haircut was in line <laughs> right. go with the Eli the frat boy bangs and you'll be safe there in Ole Miss Tom what's your three uh my three is Alabama which I mean I think part of the expectations is why I can't put a bit two or one, but I just thought for it being the first game and thinking, you know, they've got to replace two they've got to replace a lot in offense. They've got to replace a lot of defense. They came out and there was really no rust. They just looked, that was a typical Alabama performance where they came out from the start. They executed, they played well. I'm sure Nick Saban will still find plenty of things to be upset about, but they played really well. I thought Mac Jones played really well. Jalen Waddle had a huge game. Devontae Smith didn't have a huge game, but he caught the balls that were thrown his way and did what he could with them. Najee Harris had a good game in the running back. It was really nice to see Dylan Moses back at linebacker running all over the field and making plays. Just a lot, you know, a lot of confidence in Alabama going forward, kind of like what we talked about at the top. They're still Alabama. All right, what about twos? Is everybody just I'll waiting take- on Florida and Mississippi State? Yep, pretty much. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I, went, I, I went Virginia Tech. That's right. Uh, for my two. So yeah, I guess Virginia I got dis- to I, well. I guess I should explain then why I don't have Florida on there. I, um, I don't know. Like, I, I 613 th- yards on defense. Yeah, I mean that's, that's why I don't hit Florida on mine. That's me too. Like I just for all the for all, for all the um, excitement that that offense um, is going to generate, and and rightly so. Like, I mean the defense was was worse than I expected. Honestly, I mean maybe maybe that's Chips Rebels, and they're just going to be that good, and and so it'll 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 look better in the future. And to to their credit, like this is. This might end up being the best def- uh, best offense that Florida faces, or the most explosive, anyways. So, but no, I, I couldn't. The defensive issues kept me from having like top five for me. I just love the the depth and the combination of uh, receiving talent there. It's just stupid because you you've got like not only Kyle Pitts, Trevon Grimes, um, like Kadarius Tony, like. Press, it, press. Yeah, and then and then all of a sudden their backups are all really good, and you just kind of start to see the, it's it's the it's everything the Florida fans had hoped when you got Dan Mullen to come in there, and you just you start to scheme together something that can't be stopped. You know, it's just the you got six four six six guys, but then you've got six foot guys that are super speedy and that you got to keep your eyes on as they're moving around in the offense. I mean, Kyle Pitts lines up everywhere. He lines up as a wide out, lines up as a tight end. He's flexed out. He's in line like. It is just causes so many headaches for opposing defenses that they're making Kyle Trask look awesome. I've got Florida as my two. I have them too as well. And I just want to correct something you said there, Chip. After they got over uh, losing out on Chip Kelly and Scott Frost, then it was everything they expected. But I thought it was such a blessing in disguise that they ended up like Dan Mullen falling to their lap. He's outstanding with quarterbacks, and yet again, he's found a quarterback who was not the most recruited guy, who he's developed in his program, and now you're seeing like him maximize his potential in a game like we saw with six touchdown passes. Kyle Pitts, the 170 and four touchdowns. This, I like if you're looking for potentially, and I'm not saying this yet, but a team that kind of breaks out the way LSU did last year. There are some similarities, like a quarterback who was good last year. He he was better last year than Joe Burrow was two years ago at LSU. 
but a team that's kind of looking to take that big step and they look like they're doing it offensively. And I feel like the defense will catch up and that this offense is so good they can carry them for a bit to get them championship ready. Just the same thing we saw with LSU last year as they kind of struggled offensively early, then found their footing late in the year and uh, and took over, you know, took over the college football world last year. I did think that Kyle Trask was was better. Like, not that I didn't think he was good, but he he looked elite to me. And I had I had I did not think he was elite last year, and he looked he looked different on Saturday to me. And you know what I think was a, a lot to do with that? Exactly the conversation we were having in Bo Nix. Like you mm-hmm. saw a quarterback who knew exactly what he wanted to exploit, where he was going to go with the football, whether it was his first read and he had a, a mismatch or whether he had to get through his progression or he got into trouble, where am I going to go with the football? Quick, decisive decisions with accurate throwing. I agree with you. I thought he was elite too. Which leaves us with the Bulldogs. Mm-hmm. How can mm-hmm. he not? No hipster picks for me. No. Straight bulldogs. So is it legit? Is it real? Are we buying into it? It's it's the number one. The, the question was just initial impressions, first impressions, and it is impossible for any of us to have any integrity with our list and not have Mississippi State number one. But now let's let's take it then to the next step. Is there a buy? Like, do, are you going to buy um, the lasting power? Do you think this is going to work against everybody else in the SEC? So someone is gonna someone is gonna be less stubborn than Bo Pelini in LSU. Someone is gonna actually turn on the Jimmy Lake film and the Apple Cup and figure out Ooh. what like what you have to actually do to defend this offense. Because I don't know what Bo Pelini like what film he studied for this, but the they 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 ran four snaps of zone against mm-hmm. LSU and they they got torched. And you can blame the the youth, or you can blame whatever you want. But like there was, they played right into Mississippi State's hands, like right into KJ Costello's hands, right into Mike Leach's hands. Like those guys were probably like looking at each other the whole game. Like, are they gonna keep doing this? Like, okay. So, I I think it's gonna get tougher for them because people are gonna adapt, and they're go- this is sort of their first exposure to it, which is kind of crazy. Um, but. But I, but you can't, you can't take nothing away from what they accomplished. And, and what was awesome too, is everyone's, you know, they, they've got the returning leading, returning rusher in the sec, Kylan Hill, who's one of the, the best running backs in college football. And it's like, Oh, you guys are going to just waste this running back in this air raid offense. Like what? 100 and what was it? 68, 168 yards receiving. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, all right. So I, I just, this is fun. This is great. I'm happy for KJ Costello. It's fun to watch him go to work. I'm happy for those receivers who I thought were very average, uh, just absolutely go to town on a bunch of guys who won a national championship last year. So, man, I, I mean, I'm going to enjoy it. Yeah, it's it's going to be a weekly thing. I mean, we, we know just based on what Leach has done everywhere that, that most of the time that offense is going to put up yards and it's going to put up points. It's going to be, you have to keep pace with them and you have to outscore them a lot of the time. So that's kind of what they're trying to do. So I don't think that, I don't think Mississippi state is going to come in and go like seven and three, eight and two and, you know, kind of run roughshod. But I do think that, yeah, what we saw in that game, that's real. That's been real. It's always been the real for Mike Leach's teams. And that's what sec teams are just going to have to figure out how to deal with period. I love it. I think it's going to be so entertaining to watch all year. Is it sustainable? Is it long term? I don't. I think they're going to clip off some people. I don't know if I see them knocking off Bama. I don't. You know. I mean, it's just like, but they're going to create some headaches. Um, I can't wait to see that. I think pass protection will be an issue when they face a front seven like Bama has. You know, can you get the ball out of your hands quick quickly enough? The Kylan Hill stat that I saw before the game that I thought was just fascinating to see it. So Kylan Hill had eight 100-yard games of rushing, uh, 100 yards or more of rushing last season. In Mike Leach's entire eight or nine years that he was Washington State, he had eight 100-yard rushers. (laughs) So, like, imagine that. when I can Imagine Kylan Hill was probably recruited away from there. Like, hey, you're not going to get to carry the ball at all. Like, yeah, you need to come somewhere. You need to leave. You need to transfer. You need to go somewhere else. I'm sure that conversation was had. And I'm sure he gave it some thought. But I guarantee you what Mike Leach told him and pointed out with some of his backs is, 
I'm going to get the ball in your hands. It doesn't matter. And I think it could be the best thing that could happen to Kylan Hill's draft stock is the mm. fact that now he's versatile and could go out there and showcase this type of route running and pass catching abilities. That is a weapon. And that's what good coaches do. I mean, you're getting more and more positionless football on both sides of the ball. Just put your playmakers in positions to succeed. And that's something Mike Leach did on Saturday. It was fun to watch. Because Kylan Hill, by nature, is sort of a, a physical downhill, north-south kind of back. And he showed that last year. He can play physical. He can put his head down. He can power. Like he, he can be a powerful runner. And now he's gonna, you know, he's gonna be a thousand-yard receiver this year or something. I mean, it's it's uh, it's kind of it. Yeah, this is gonna be fun to watch. And I think it, it's gonna be great for his draft stock. To your point, Barton. And I know that all the SEC defensive coordinators are listening to this podcast, so the the cat's out of the bag here. But uh, Mike Leach against Chris Peterson, who had Jimmy Lake as his defensive backs coach, zero and six in those Apple Cups. And Washington State's offense never scored more than twenty points. The what put on the Apple Cup tape, and got, you've got great athlete. Like you've got Washington's skill in the SEC. Just put on the Apple Cup tape. Copy. I right, the one snow game. There was that one game where the weather was ridiculous. <laughs> I will admit that was not ideal for the air raid, but you know Leach was still going to stick to it. But they never scored more than twenty points against Chris Peterson's. Huskies, which was defensive coordinator Jimmy Lake. I mean, how stubborn do you have to be? <laughs> Honestly, what kind of mentality do you bring into that game where you say, and and not only do you not have the game the game plan, but then you're not you don't even change. Yeah, you switch it up at halftime, third quarter, fourth quarter, <laughs> just run run some quarters. 13 45-17, 45-17, 41-14. 28-15-31-13. It, it can be done. It can be done. All right. Every Monday, we're going to get you out of here with a little bit of Knowles to go. Sometimes it's going to be sweet. Sometimes it's going to be sour. But instead of just throwing Danny in the hot seat right at the start of every little bit of, uh, of every Monday show, and as we look ahead to, the, to what the Florida State Seminoles have coming up on the week, we're, it's, sometimes it's going to be optimism. Sometimes it's going to be despair. Danny, how are we feeling after 52 to 10? Are you guys sure you want to do this all year? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. This could be, it's probably, or we can do it. It'll be a very short segment. It might, that's the thing. That, it can be whatever yeah. it needs to be. Yeah. Yeah. Pulse of the program. It's, I would say it's as low as dark, um, a day in Florida state history, like in the past 30, 30 years, like since pre Bobby Bowden, when they were, you know, a very average below average program, this place, they have a long way to go. I mean, I, I'm stating a lot of the obvious, but it looks bad. And I credit Mike Norvell for taking some of the blame that had nothing to do with it. The fact that he wasn't there, uh, you know, at the game, I mean, he had COVID it's not his problem. I thought the lack of talent, the, the difference in talent was on display. I think Mike Norvell has a quarterback problem that he needs to address probably needs to make a change. And I hate, I can't tell you how much I hate saying you got to bench the quarterback, but it just looks pretty glaringly evident. The problem is, what are you going to turn to? Uh, because I don't know if there is an option behind him. You know, the fight in the second half, the lack of enthusiasm or even effort just didn't seem there. It was alarming. I just think it's going to be a massive project. And I think he's going to have to make some decisions because now you've got to decide. And as much as I've ripped Dana Holgerson and what he did at Houston last year, tank. I'm kind of looking at Florida. <laughs> I'm kind of looking at Florida State, being like, do you just bench some guys and go with the youth movement? Get them, get them, throw them to the wolves. Get them experience. Let them screw up. Have your horrible season. Rip the bandaid off, and then kind of prepare for 2021. Like I, that's where nice. I am right now. So, yes, Daniel, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> So there's a couple there a, a couple of things in your um, Knowles to go that caught my attention. One, Chuba Purdy yep. is yep. on the depth chart this week. Um, so that's that's speaks to one of your points. Another one, Tamari on Terry not starting on the depth chart this week. Yep. So there's there's another one. You know, maybe I don't know if you got on the phone with Mike Norvell <laughs> this week or not. And then the last one, you opened up with the statement, this is the darkest day Sounds like in my 30 years. 
So that sound a little Manny Diaz <laughs> You know, last year, Manny said the same thing after FIU, and look where they are now. Yep. You got Sometimes hey. you got to hit rock bottom. You know, this. Hopefully, this is it because I don't know how much worse it can get. All a lot of rock bottoms lately. <laughs> thankfully, we dodged the Gators this year. Like, thankfully. <laughs> so there is precedent here, right? Like Miami top of the world national championship program sort of fell to being mediocre and, and like still have been trying to reclaim something. USC top of the world, mid two thousands fell down, Texas running things in the late two thousands fell down. I, I felt like I was overreacting saying I've never seen a national championship program fall like this, but we have. So there it's definitely possible that they can dig their way out of it. They're not going. Oh, and 10, Right. That's my, my, I hope not. (laughs) That's my, always my response to every Florida fan and Miami fan who loves like rubbing my face in the dirt as Florida state sucks right now is, Oh, you and I'm like, well, tell me how it feels. Like, how do I handle this? Because they've been there, you know, like we haven't. Um, but I just, there's some things that I don't love and that I used to laugh at Miami and Florida. Like I used to see Miami, uh, former players bashing the current players, bashing the coaches and I'm starting to get that now, and it doesn't ever play out well. Like, I, and I am Mr. Positivity, Mr. Support the Program. If you want to complain, like, do it in private, but with social media, everybody can kind of air out their grievances. And then it's just this nasty, like, I would love to see a positive relationship with your guys in the NFL and your former players with your current ones. And that's something Mike Norvell has actually tried to build up. And yet I see some guys calling out, this is unacceptable. This isn't Florida State football. This is soft. You guys don't care. And I've seen that at Miami and I've seen that at Florida and it, it, I, it just, it bothers me when I see that unfold and yet I totally understand it. That's your Knowles to go here for Monday, September 28th. As we put a There's bow a Jackson state next, let's go. Yeah, <laughs> let's go. Well, they'll, we'll go we'll get, we'll work out some kinks this week. We'll figure <laughs> it out. Up. He is Danny. Can hold, can, hold, 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 hold. Wait, before we go, I want to tell the listeners the total, for Navy Air Force is up. It's 48 and a half. Go get it. I already, under. I already bet it right now while we were recording. So go get the <laughs> under before it drops. Nice. Always the under in Service Academy games. He is Danny Cannell. You can follow him on Twitter at Danny Cannell. You can follow him at Tom Fernell. You can follow him at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Welcome to the Nothing Personal with David Sampson podcast. Do me a favor and blink, please. Did you blink? That's how fast the Major League Baseball season went in 2020. The postseason is already upon us. Whether it's baseball news, you on NFL, college football, water polo, chess, movies. If there's a story, we'll have it covered every weekday, five days a week. Just subscribe and download on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, or wherever else you find your podcasts. No BS, no soft tosses, no hot takes. You know, it's always business. It's nothing personal.